thank you for the grace that is, for lack of a better word, just simply so amazing. Lord, thank you for love. Thank you for your mercy. And Lord, I, I come now and I ask, Lord, for forgiveness for sins. I ask, Lord, now for forgiveness for any and everything that might come between me and you, Lord, and that might hinder this message for being preached in such a way, Lord, that pleases you. Lord, I will acknowledge now that I am nothing. I will acknowledge now, Lord, that my words are empty. My words are meaningless. My words are powerless without you, without your conviction, without your leadership. Lord, without your indwelling and without your baptism of your Holy Ghost, Lord. And I pray, Lord, for that. Lord, as we go into this time, Lord, of we just, Lord, just want to share this message, Lord, that you have you've burdened my heart with. And I pray, Lord, for all those that are here in attendance and all those, Lord, that are listening online, that something that is said here today, that it's something, Lord, that is done, if they do not know you as their Savior, if they are lost, Lord, if hell is their Next destination, I pray, Lord, that something is said and done here today. And again, not for my glory, not for my honor, not for my, not for my treasure, but, Lord, for your honor, for your glory, for love, Lord, I pray that you would please let something be said here today. Let something be done here today that would just convict their hearts. And let this day be the day that they secure their residence with you in heaven. All these things we ask in your name. Amen. 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 I've, got a, I've got an old stump in my backyard. And I know nowadays you can, you can pay people to come out. They've got these machines, and they'll grind them up, tear, tear them, get them away with them. But uh, I don't have the money for that. So I've let it just kind of sit back there in my backyard and rot. And occasionally, I'll set it on fire, and I'll, I'll burn it. And uh, what I've traditionally done is, is I get limbs that come down and break down and, and fall in the yard. If I can lift it and carry it, I'll, I'll take those limbs and pile them up on top of that stump. And if it's too heavy for me to lift and carry, I'll make my boy do it. Isaac will go out there and take it and drag it over to that old stump, and we'll pile it all up. And I'll have me a nice little brush pile, and I'll set it on fire and let it burn. And I figure eventually that old stump will burn away. Uh, I don't just burn, though, brush, and I don't just burn old scrap pieces of wood. I, I got a, a fair, well, let's just face it, I have more than my fair share of Amazon boxes that tend to uh, accumulate in my house. And it's not just Amazon boxes. They're those Chewy.com boxes. Them things are huge. That the dog food comes in, you know, and the cat litter comes in. Those won't fit in the trash can. All right? Even after you crush them and tear them up, they just won't fit in the trash can. So I'll usually store them up back in the back room to give them a little extra fuel when I start the fire, when I want to burn the brush, brush fire. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we had a, a, a pretty good-sized pile built up. And on top of that, I had an old deck on the back of the house that was rotten and falling down. We had to have it replaced. Uh, and uh, we put the scrap wood from that on top of this as well. And, of course, I had all kinds of 
cardboard and paper, trash. It was just, it was, it, 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 it was set up and ready to go. But if you know me, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it right. So uh, I proceeded to pour about two and a half gallons of gas on it. Yes. On top of that, I poured about a half a gallon of used oil on top of the stump. You know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Um, needless to say, when I finally threw a, a, a lip, took a, a, a piece of paper, lit it, and needless, threw it on there, uh, I was rethinking some of my life choices. <laughs> uh, when it finally hit, that sound, that woof, knocked me back. I immediately was kind of checking myself. Uh, but that thing was burning. And as uh, I know, I'm going to be responsible, guys. I'm not going to do anything stupid. I'm going to sit there. I'm going to watch it. I'm not going to let it get into the, the woods or anything. So I'm standing there about 20, 30, 40 foot, 40 foot away because that's about as close as I can get to this raging inferno without being melted. As I'm sitting there watching this thing burn, it started to, to have its, like its own weather system. There was literally a, a, a fire tornado raging on this thing. Man, this thing was, man, I really did a good job on this fire. I was proud of this fire. And I sat there, and I was watching it, and I was standing there watching this thing, and the wood started to shift, and it started to collapse a little bit, and I, it, a, a cavity opened up right in the middle of it. And I, I found myself kind of staring right into the center of this big old fire that was raging, and I was kind of pulled in, and, 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 my, and I was looking down into the center of this fire, and uh, I caught myself thinking, man, I get, and the heat's hitting me hard, and uh, I thought my glasses were melting on my face, to be honest. It was just pouring at me, and uh, I'm sitting there looking, and the smell, and the, the, the sounds, and uh, I'm looking down inside the center of this fire, and I started thinking to myself, that surely must be what hell is like. And almost as soon as I said that in myself and in my heart, I was convicted. No, that ain't nothing like hell. Because in just a few short hours, that fuel would burn out. In just a few short hours, those flames would die down. In just a few short hours. And in fact... But later that afternoon, it was summer, we, we know, just a couple of weeks ago, we had one of them afternoon thunderstorms come through, and it rained and rained and rained. And by the end of that afternoon, the only thing that even suggested there was a fire there was this really big black spot on the ground. <laughs> there was no evidence of a fire had ever been there other than that. My friends, that was nothing like hell, because hell, the fire still burns and will continue to burn. Hell. Over the years, me included, may have sung along with ACDC and bragged about being on a highway there. Others have foolishly boasted about once they get there, they're going to burst the doors wide open. I had a brother, older brother, buddy. 
He died on his 40th birthday. Uh, when he came to live with us, man, I was just enthralled by my older brother. And what this really just, I just loved the fact that he could come and go as he pleased. He had his own keys. He had his own car. Man, when he wanted to get up and go somewhere, he just went up and went. So me, like a little dog, nipping at his heels. Buddy, where you going? Where you going? Where you going? What you doing? Where you going? Where you going? And I could still hear him in my mind. I could still hear him saying over and over again, slightly annoyed at his baby brother, to hell if I don't change my ways. Well, many of us choose to ponder how long a snowball will live there. Many others just simply are waiting for it to freeze over. Hell. We have heard it said that hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. Perhaps some of us have even compared the summer heat to being hot as hell. Are you going through hard times? Have you had a bad day? Have you ever caught yourself saying that you're going through hell? Have you seen the aftermath of a disastrous tornado? Seen firsthand the scars and the evidence of these raging storms that's left behind on property and human lives and thought to yourself, man, that must have been like going through a living hell. It was hell on earth. Hell. John Milton wrote, Better to reign in hell than to serve in heaven. And this is the arrogant and ignorant attitude of so many today. There was a movie released back in 2014. It was uh, called uh, Heaven is for Real. It was marketed as a Christian film. Um, I'm going to go on record as saying, in my opinion, that was the most unchristian film ever produced. Full of her 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 heresy. Uh, so much so that the only thing I'm confident to say is truth about that film... I mean, biblical inaccuracies from beginning to end. But the only thing that was truly true that I could trust about that film was its title. Heaven is for real. But what the film ignored, and sadly what so many others today ignore, is the fact that heaven as well as hell is for real. Charles Spurgeon warned us, Think lightly of hell, and you will think lightly of the cross. Think little of the suffering of souls that are lost, and you will soon think little of the Savior who delivers them. Recently, John Piper, from one of his podcasts, said, When the heart no longer feels the truth of hell, then the gospel passes from good news to simply news. Hell is for real. And scriptures teach this. Before, Corey asked me in the text, what scriptures are you going to be using today? And I responded simply, all of them. Time would not allow me. Your attention span would not allow me. I, y'all, I cannot sit here long enough and tell you the scriptures and cover how much 
Listen, the entire word of God teaches us about a heaven to gain and a hell to run from. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, God, it says, God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment. Hell is real, my friends. Jesus taught, as Brother Brad mentioned, Jesus taught and warned of hell more than the glories to come in heaven. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 41, he says, The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom at all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be welling and gnashing of teeth. Verse 49, So shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be welling and gnashing of teeth. Chapter 25 of the book of Matthew, verse 29. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But for him, him that hath not shall be taken away, even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping, or welling, and gnashing of teeth. Have you ever heard anybody well and gnash their teeth? Oh, I have, my friends. My dad and I were singing, at, yes, at a Jack's restaurant. There was a Jack's restaurant. I can't, tell you, I can't remember where it was. I think it was over in Hoover, Vestavia area. It was owned by a Christian. And from time to time, he would invite gospel groups to come in there and, and sing and, and, and praise on a Saturday night. Uh, and, 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 and it was, it was, it was a fun time and, and me and my dad would go and we would, we would go there and we'd gone there a couple of times and we would lift up our joyful noises to the Lord and, and we would sing. And I remember one day we were there singing at this, at this little Jack's cafeteria and we were all having fun praising God and worshiping God where people were eating their fries and hamburgers. And out of the corner of my eye, I could see a sheriff deputy walk in with some people around him and they pointed to somebody over in the corner. And I remember as I was singing, and I was singing there with my dad, and we would look at this sheriff deputy walk over to this woman over in the corner in her booth, and he leaned down and started to talk to her. And I remember to this day the wail that came out of her when she was informed that later that morning, that later that afternoon on the way home from a ball game, that her son and his girlfriend had just been killed in a car accident. The wail as she screamed out, Oh, God! God, no, I could still hear it today. There will be welling and gnashing of teeth that day. Mark chapter 9, verse 43, Jesus says, And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never quenched. Unlike that brush fire of mine, this fire is still burning today. Where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Paul would remind us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. He says there in verse 7, And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall reveal from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from glory of his power. And as we continue, I'm loving our study in the book of Revelation. And as we continue, I believe he said we're on 12 and 13 this coming up week. Uh, as we continue on into the book of Revelation in our study, we're going to see the end of the wicked. We're going to see what happens to all those who are not written in the Lamb's book of life. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 20, we're told, And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him. We're going to talk more about the beast and the prophet next week, he said. Of which he deceived them and had received the mark of the beast. And then that worshipped him in his image. These both, both were cast into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. Revelation 20, verse 10. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever, 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 and ever, and ever. And I saw a great white throne on him that sat on it, and from whose face, the, whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. They tried to hide, but you cannot hide from God. And saw the dead and the small and the great stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And the death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And my friends, verse 15, And whosoever was not found written in the Lamb's book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's not fair, Dan. That's not fair. We're some good people here on this earth. There's no way a loving God would let somebody go to hell. Jonathan Edwards says, There is laid in the very nature of carnal man a foundation for the torments of hell. Billy Graham, great evangelist, Billy Graham had preached. He said, Heaven is real and hell is real. And eternity is but a breath away. But Billy Graham would also add, I am conscious of the fact that the subject of hell is not a very pleasant one. It is very unpopular, controversial, and misunderstood. He adds, as a minister, I must deal with it. I cannot ignore it. With so much written proof within the word of God about his wrath and judgment to come. Which sets a clear picture of the literal hell. Not the figurative one. Not like a hey it's hot as. Not as oh we're going through a living version of it now. The literal hell that awaits the lost. Then it, it would seem to, it would be reasonable. It seems logical. And it surprises me that it's not. That from every sermon, nearly every pastor in all the world's pulpits should be pounding their fists this afternoon. Should be pleading for the lost to turn from the destruction that surely awaits them. But as I said, surely it's not. And why? 
Because the church has outspoken speakers. Like Joel Stein, who says, and I quote, I'm not going to let God be the judge who goes to heaven and hell. I, I, I says, I'm going to let God be the judge who goes to heaven and hell. I think people already know what they're doing wrong. And I certainly believe in hell. But to me, when I see thousands of people before me, and he's got thousands of people before him, it just doesn't come out of me to say, you are terrible and you're going to hell. I'd rather say that God is, is good and God is full of mercy and you've got to live obedient life. But for every mistake you make, there's mercy there and I believe you can do better. My friends, you can do better. But my friends, without Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are terrible. And you are going to hell. My friends, the world, our nation, our neighbors, our family members, and yes, even our very own congregations today are being lulled to sleep with a soothing words like Joel's things that tickle the ears and blinds our eyes of the danger that awaits us. There are souls that are being, there are souls that are but a heartbeat away from eternity and endless torment. Nevertheless, our sermons are tempered, our lessons are tilted, and our testimonies, my friends, are often weak. C.S. Lewis noted, Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. It's the gentle slope. Soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. And might I add, without a plea and a shout of warning. Leonard Ravenhill makes a, a, an observation also about why we are in such a state. He says, what is the condition of America like spiritually today, right now? His answer, zero. Why? Because we've got blind men coming out of seminaries. Men that don't teach them. They don't hear a word about hell. They're blind themselves. And as blind men, they lead the blind and they all go to hell. I'm going to give you a brief illustration of this out of the Word of God. If you want to look it up and find it, you're more than welcome to. This is going to be in Genesis chapter 41. And I'm going to read from the Amplified, but this is Genesis chapter 41. And it says here in verse 1, Now it happened at the end of two full years that Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile, and lo, there came up out of the Nile seven healthy cows, sleek and handsome and fat, and, and they grazed in the reed grass in the marshy pasture. Then behold, seven other cows came up out of the Nile, uh, ugly and gaunt and raw-boned, and they stood by the fat cows on the bank of the Nile. Then the ugly and the gaunt and the raw-boned cows, cows ate up the seven sleek and the fat cows. Now, this stirred him up. He woke up, and he was like, well, that's a dream. He goes back to sleep, and it says he dreamed again in verse 5. Then he fell asleep, and he dreamed a second time. And behold, 
Seven ears of grain came up on the single stalk, plump and good. Then behold, seven ears of grain, thin and dried up by the east wind, sprouted after them. Then the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump of full ears. And the Pharaoh woke, and it was a dream. So when the morning came, his spirit was troubled and disrupted and disturbed, excuse me. And he sent and called for all the magicians, all the wise men of Egypt. And Pharaoh told him his dream, but no one could interpret this for him. Now you may ask, my friends, you may ask Brother Daniel, what does that have to do with your message this morning on hell? My friends, today's men's hearts are troubled. They see the evil rages around us. The violence that's in our streets, in our schools, and in our homes. The constant threat of yet another pandemic and the possible shutdown that comes with it. Store shelves today are empty and bare, even some of the most basic of items. There seems to be no end to the wars that threaten our supposed peace and security. And much like Pharaoh in his day... Today's men's hearts are troubled and disturbed. And they're seeking answers, but they're finding none. But then Joseph shows up. And he interprets the dreams. He goes on there in verse uh, 25. It says, Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The two dreams are one and the same and have only one interpretation. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows and seven are, are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. Uh, the two dreams are one and the same. Listen very carefully, Pharaoh. Seven years of great abundance will come throughout all the land of Egypt. Was that all of Joseph's message? Was that all he had to say? Can't you see? Don't you understand, my friends, that if Joseph's message had ended right there, it would be so similar to the ear-tickling sermons of great prosperity that are leading countless thousands to hell right now. If it was not the warning of Joseph of the wrath and the judgment to come, then Pharaoh and Egypt and, yes, all of Israel would not have been saved. My friends, if we preach, let us preach the whole truth. When we teach, let us preach and teach the word that is full and clear. And when we share the gospel and the good news of salvation of Christ, then let our testimonies remind those who bear witness of indeed what it is we are saved from. Are you saved? Saved from what, my friends? Saved from hell. Saved from the wrath and the judgment of God. Charles Burgeon said, Oh, my brothers and sisters in Christ, if sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they will perish, let them perish with their arms around their knees, imploring them to stay and not to madly to destroy themselves. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in, uh, our, in, in the teeth of our exertions. And let not, let not one go there unwarned and unprayed for. Paul Washer would teach, 
When preachers teach biblically, clearly, the judgment of God and the dangers of hell, men begin to see that their greatest need is to be saved from eternal condemnation. And the more practical needs of this present age become trivial in comparison. So listen closely. Wake up, sinner, and hear the call to repentance. Wake up, sinners, and hear the call of repentance. Brother Dan, this message isn't for me. Brother Dan, I don't need to hear this today. Brother Ben, I don't need to. What? I wonder what I'm going to eat for lunch. I wonder if I got time to cut grass. Oh, I'm going to take such a long nap. I preached a message over 20 years ago in a little small church up in Kimberley. And I remember to this day the message that God had burdened on my heart. And it was a burden. I knew I was being invited in to preach this message. I was a young preacher. I was just anxious to get out there and to preach and to do what God had called me to do. God had given me a gift. I ran from that gift. I accepted that finally the calling of Christ. And I was excited. Any opportunity I could get to stand behind the pulpit and preach the word of God, I would get to preach. I was excited and doing it. And all I wanted to do was preach about love and grace and how wonderful, wonderful God was and, and salvation. And oh, I was so excited. But God had put a burden on my heart, a message. This message was a burden to me to preach. That message 20 some odd years ago was a burden because I knew what I was preaching. It wasn't on these exact scriptures, but it was of a similar type. And I preached, and I know I was rough around the edges. Folks, I know I'm still rough around the edges. My tongue gets in the way, my big old fat lips get in the way, and I know I stumble sometimes, and I mispronounce words, and I, I fumble around sometimes. I get it. I know. I am not a great speaker. But I, I, I know that day, just like I know now, I am trusting that God, I know that God gave me that message to preach to that small little church. And I surrendered, and I let God use me, as little as I was, as imperfect as I was, as imperfect as I still am, I knew God was using me that day. And I preached the message. We gave the invitation as I suppose a custom. We knew, I, I knew, every, you know, we'd sing an invitation, one verse, two verse, goodbye, everybody, shake your hands and go. I gave the invitation, and everybody got up, turned around, walked out the door. pastor came up, walked right up to me, reached his hand out, gave me a firm handshake. You know, like one of those handshakes that you give somebody when you're like, oh, Hulk-style handshake. He looked me dead in the eye and said, Brother Dan, I appreciate your time and your effort, but everybody here was saved. We didn't need to hear that. And he turned and walked out the door. I know I preached what God needed to be preached that day. And I know there was somebody in that attendance that morning that needed to hear. And it may very well have been that same pastor. 
that shook my hand assuming that everyone in his congregation was going to heaven. When in fact, every one of them may have very well been heading to hell. And he was comfortable tickling their ears, telling them everything was okay. I'm not going to tickle your ears this morning. I'm telling you, I'm pleading with you. Wake up! Is hell currently your eternal domain? Are you simply a breath away, a heartbeat away? It doesn't have to be. God will never send anyone to hell. If you go to hell this morning, and let me add, you may very well be there by the end of the day. For none of us are promised another heartbeat. If you go to hell, you won't go to hell because God sent you there. You'll go there, as Billy Graham says, because you choose to go there. Spurgeon would say, if you can sin and not weep over it, you are an heir of hell. If you can go into sin and afterwards feel satisfied to have done so, you are on the road to destruction. If there are no prickings of conscience, conscience, no inward torments, no bleeding wounds, if you have no throbs and heaviness of, of bosom that cast, cannot, make you cannot rest, if your soul never feels filled with wormwood and gall, when you know you have done evil, then you are no child of God. Stop lying to yourself and thinking, I'll be okay. I said a prayer once. I've heard it said, Ravenhill said it. I've heard Paul Washer say it. I've heard it said before, I'll say it here. The sinner's prayer has sent more people to hell than any bar. Then any drug, then any crime on this earth. People who have trusted in a prayer that someone led them in. And they say, that's God, that's enough. I said a prayer when I was 13 at a, at a, at a, at a vacation Bible school. I bowed my head and I raised my hand at an invitation at the end of church. And I, 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 I repeated after the pastor, so I know I'm okay. Don't lie to yourself. Do you know God? Does God know you? Have you accepted and truly accepted Him as your Savior? Almost, Jonathan Edwards says, almost every natural man that hears of hell flatters himself that he should escape it. He depends upon himself for his own security. He flatters himself in what he has done, in what he is now doing, or what he intends to do. Have you not heard that the road to hell is paved with good intentions? I've shared with you some horrible, terrifying news this morning. Yet I have the audacity and the boldness to tell you that it's good news. That it's the gospel message. Now what, what is it about what I have told you this morning is good. 
It's good because, my friends, there's been a made a way out of it. It's good this morning because that death, that hell, that wrath to come, God has made a way to escape it. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Why? Because God sent his Son not into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Might be saved, my friends. You have a choice. And just as Billy Graham said, if you don't choose that, guess what? Verse 18 teaches us right there that you're condemned already. Why? Because Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 8, verse, chapter 5, verse 8 says, But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners that Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. What are you saved from? We are saved from the wrath to come. We are free from the chains of sin. As I said, our residence in heaven is sure. Jesus promised if I go, I say I go to prepare a place for you, then I will come back. I will. I've prepared a place for you, my friends, he says. Romans 6.23 says, For the rages of sin is death. But my friends, he's got a gift for you today. Here's the good news. The gift from God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Where there's welling and gnashing of teeth. Where there's bitterness and gall and hatred. Where your worm dieth not. Where brimstone and fire and the smell and the agony of torment continues forever and ever and ever. My friends, Jesus bore that for you so you don't have to. So I give an invitation this morning. And I'm not going to give a traditional invitation. I'm not going to play a song to try to tug at your heart. I'm going to beg you. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, do not delay. If you are here today, and you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you're here today, and you know, you know that you know that you know that you know That hell is not your ultimate destination. You know that Jesus Christ went to the cross and he died for you. Not for Brother Brad, not just for Sister Marcy, not for Raymond, not for me. He died for you. I know I'm screaming, I know I'm yelling, but guys, I'm passionate. I love you, but as much as I love you, it's nowhere near as much as what God has loved you.
continues to love you and has done for you. Don't turn your back on that anymore. But if you're here this morning and you know what it's like to be able to stand and say, I am a child of God, then this invitation isn't for you. Does that mean this message isn't? No. I'm going to tell you what. This message may not be for you, but you can take this message as a motivation to share it to those who need it. This message today may not be for you and that you know you know you're going to heaven. You know that Jesus has died for your sins. You know God as your Savior this morning. You know what? Take this message to heart. Let your testimony, let every action, every deed you do today, tomorrow, next week, next year, for as long as God allows you to live on this earth, let it praise God and to be a testimony of what God has saved you from. But this morning's this invitation is to whoever is here who doesn't know. Who doesn't know. Are you going to go to bed tonight? Kiss your wife, kiss your husband, turn over and look the other direction and take a deep breath and go, I think I'm all right. Are you going to go out there in that car, turn the key on and turn the radio on and go, whew, man. Go glass over. This invitation is for you. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, here's what I'm going to ask you to do this morning. I'm not going to ask you to bow your head. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm going to ask you today to take up your cross. As Jesus asked, take up your cross and daily and follow me. I'm going to ask you to publicly and openly confess, I am a sinner. I'm going to ask that you don't wait for some song to play. I'm not going to ask for somebody to come and grab you by the shoulder and hand and come up and drag you to the altar. I'm going to say right now, if God is convicting your heart of your sin. There is no clearer, plain invitation to what I am giving you right now. You can walk out that door today and know that you know that you know that you know God. And God knows you. Be saved today. Don't stumble to the altar. Run to the altar. Confess, God, I've sinned and I don't know. I, I, I know that I've, I've sinned and I've come short. Save my soul. Is there anyone here this morning that's honest enough with themselves? Honest enough to say, I need God. And I'm going to hell without him. 